Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. That's right, and in case you missed it, you're on Friends of the Earth Dirt Radio. I'm Sam. I'll be hosting today. Today we're talking to Friends of the Earth Australia's national anti-nuclear clean energy campaigner, Dr Jim Green. Jim Green's work has focused for many, many years on uranium and anti-nukes related issues. Some of you may be aware that currently in South Australia, the Nuclear Royal Commission is investigating... uh, the future of the nuclear industry and will hand down a final report in May. The Commission is looking into the risks and opportunities of furthering the nuclear industry, including increased uranium mining, which I guess would see BHP very happy, uh, uranium enrichment, nuclear power, and of course the eternal problem of dumping international nuclear waste. There are three sites in South Australia two at Kimber and one in the Flinders Ranges that have been shortlisted to become national nuclear waste dumps. Overall, there are six sites across the country, all of which local communities have expressed resistance to making their backyards a nuclear waste site. South Australia has a long history of uh, opposing waste dumps, uh, as does Friends of the Earth. And in fact, Jim Green and the Friends of the Earth Melbourne Collective ACE were heavily involved in campaigning for seven years to stop uh, the Muckety Waste site. We've got Dr. Jim on the line, hopefully. Hello, Jim, are you there? Yep, hi, Sam. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, well, thanks, how are you going? Good. So I've um, just been uh, letting our listeners know that the uh, Royal Commission is going on. I know that you've been doing a lot of work around that. Shall we start off by discussing... What's up in South Australia? We thought the age of nuclear uh, tech was over, but clearly not. Yeah, so uh, this Royal Commission has been going on for a year now and it came like a bolt out of the blue. We had no forewarning that anything like this was in the works. But uh, as you said, it's a Royal Commission to look into options to expand the state's role in the nuclear fuel cycle. And the Royal Commission released its uh, interim report a few weeks ago, and um, it's pretty fascinating reading. Despite being totally stacked with pro-nuclear people, it's given a very negative report about the prospects for for nuclear industries in South Australia. It said that uh, there are substantial barriers to expanding the uranium mining industry. It said that uranium enrichment was not economically viable and uranium conversion and fuel fabrication were not economically viable. And probably the most interesting and the best parts of the report were concerning nuclear power and it said that conventional nuclear power is not economically viable and it said the same thing about so-called Generation 4 reactors and so-called small modular reactors. So pretty much everything was knocked off the agenda with the one exception that South Australia could potentially 
make millions of profits from becoming the world's nuclear waste dump. So that's where all the attention shifts now. Well, that's an exciting future for South Australia to be a nuclear dumping ground. You know, Jim, there's been, there's been discussion for many years amongst the environmental movement and even people that claim to be um, heavily engaged in fighting for climate justice and climate change around the benefits or possibilities of nuclear energy as a transition energy. Uh, I personally just can't wrap my head around that as an idea, uh, particularly con- considering that every time something goes wrong, it's disastrous forever. Uh, what, what do you think, as someone who's been following this for such a long time, uh, is nuclear power actually in any way an option as a transitional energy out of fossil fuels? Well, I think everything turns on the options. I mean, if the only option was uh, was fossil fuels, then we might have to swallow all our opposition to nuclear power and accept it as, as the least worst of the available options. But, of course, fossil fuels aren't the only options. Mm-hmm. And for Australia, there's, uh, you know, there's the significant growth of renewables and the extraordinary potential of energy efficiency as well. And there's any number of credible studies demonstrating how we can get to a, a renewable energy-powered economy. So, um, you know, that knocks off nuclear as being a, a credible or viable alternative. You, you might look at other parts of the world where their uh, renewable energy potential is, is less and argue that there's a case for nuclear there, but certainly not in Australia. Mm. So tell us a little bit more about what's going on in relation to the nuclear dump sites that have been put forward by the government. Yeah, well, this has such a long history. First of all, the Howard government tried to impose a nuclear waste dump on Aboriginal land in South Australia, and that was fiercely resisted by the Cooper Pedy Kungajuta and all their supporters around the country. And uh, the Labor government under Rudd and Gillard I love the way everyone just puts those two together now. It's the the Rudd-Gillard era. Yep. Absolutely. Well, they (laughs) decided that the Howard government had been insufficiently thuggish and insufficiently racist, and so they tried even harder to impose a nuclear waste dump on Aboriginal land, and this time it was in the Northern Territory. But once again, there was fierce resistance, and it lasted for eight long years, and... uh, it eventually ended up in the federal court and the uh, the federal government and the Northern Land Council got cold feet and they backed out of the court case and they gave up on muckety. So now we're in a really interesting phase where there's an attempt to be less thuggish in the sense that uh, landowners around Australia have been asked to nominate land for a national nuclear waste dump site. So that's a good start, but uh, you know, the problem is that local communities and neighbouring landowners have not even known about the nominations until they've read it in the media. So mm. around all of these six sites, three of which are in South Australia, there's been huge opposition from, from neighbours and from local communities uh, and in some cases from Aboriginal traditional owners. So yeah. uh, it's, it'll be fascinating to see how it unfolds because... Uh, there's now a recognition that there has to be community consent for these nuclear waste dump projects to get off the ground and there simply isn't community consent at any of these six sites. And so what is the um, legal obligation of the government if we're extracting uranium and, you know, selling it overseas, whether it's to, you know, countries like India that, you know, don't necessarily have uh, any sort of binding accountability? What What is the 
uh, obligation on the government in terms of dealing with waste from that? Are we required to take it back into our country? No, no, we're not required, and uh, I, I would I'd say that we're not morally obliged either. I think the countries that choose to run nuclear power plants are responsible for their waste, mm. and uh, there's certainly no history or any precedent of uh, the suppliers of raw materials being responsible for the take back of the waste arising from the use of those raw materials, whether it's iron ore exports or uranium or, or anything else. So where where so, uh, is this waste coming from that they're looking for a site for? Well, we should be clear that there's two separate proposals. We've just been talking about a national nuclear waste dump, and that's for Australia's waste. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, this plan for an international high-level nuclear waste dump in South Australia, uh, that's quite separate, and that would take... Um, that would take high-level nuclear waste from nuclear power reactors potentially all around the world, but uh, the Royal Commission seems to think that a number of Asian countries are the most likely suppliers of that nuclear waste to Australia. And what does that actually mean in terms of storage? Uh, you know, is there they're just going to drop it into some concrete reinforced pit and it stays there forever and we just hope that no one ever, you know, digs that up or bulldozes it or... What does that mean for people like me that just... I I don't really understand the process of how you can safely store such material. Yeah, well, there would be any number of facilities associated with this. I mean, firstly, you would need a port, and they're talking about a dedicated port, but we've been through all this before. I mean, at the moment, they talk about dedicated ports and dedicated train lines, and they talk up the... uh, the employment that would be associated with that and tend to downplay the extraordinary costs. Mm. So over time, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they talk about using an existing port and existing uh, train lines insofar as they possibly can. Um, Which I'm assuming increases the danger of of, uh, radioactive and horrible bits, you know, potentially leaking out into the wider world. Yeah, absolutely. So then you would have an interim storage facility which would be located near the port and um, the port would probably be either Port Augusta or Wyala or south, or possibly a dedicated port south of Wyala. So it's that part of the world, the Air Peninsula, which is currently up in arms about plans for a national nuclear waste dump. They're not at all happy about it. Mm-hmm. So you would have that interim storage facility. Then you would have uh, train lines uh to the ultimate dump site, which would presumably be somewhere in the north northwest of South Australia. And uh, so then you would have the dump itself, which would be perhaps 500 metres underground. And, uh, yeah, and you would be hoping that that would stay safe for hundreds of thousands of years. But the industry doesn't have a very good track record. There's only one of these deep underground nuclear waste dumps anywhere in the world, and in the United States and it's a place called WIP, the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant and um, as I say it's the world's only deep underground nuclear waste dump and it accepts long-lived intermediate level waste from the US nuclear weapons program right. and when they set it up in the late 1990s they did it very well and with uh, a great deal of attention to safety and having uh, regulatory oversight and so on but between the 1990s and and now, safety standards fell away sharply and regulatory standards fell away sharply and they've had serious accidents there. They had a uh, 
an underground fire, which thankfully only involved a salt truck and it didn't involve any nuclear waste. But just uh, nine days later, they had a, an accident which did involve nuclear waste, and that was a chemical explosion of one of these barrels containing nuclear waste. And the filtration system failed, so radiation reached the outside environment and 23 workers were exposed to, to low levels of radiation. Um, so, you know, that's the track record of the world's one and only nuclear waste dump. And we're talking about waste, which has a, a lifespan of roughly 300,000 years. And they've had one accident in 15 years, so they're on track for 20,000 accidents over the lifespan of that nuclear waste. God. And so the... The proposition from the South Australian uh, Royal Commission is that we can do it infinitely better than the Americans can, even though there's no logical reason to believe that. <laughs> well, it also raises a very interesting question for me as someone that's you know involved in the anti-war militarism movement. Uh, would we potentially be storing waste that comes from nuclear weapons? Is that a possibility? No, well, that's been precluded in the terms of reference for the Royal Commission. But there's another side to that debate, which is that Australia is amongst the minority of countries in the world which actively supports and relies on nuclear weapons Mm. through the US alliance. And uh, so we don't have a good track record. And Australia's only previous push for nuclear power in the late 1960s was underpinned by a hidden weapons agenda, as uh, Prime Minister John Corden later acknowledged. So... We don't bring a great deal of credibility to these discussions and they're talking about bringing in 138,000 tonnes of high-level nuclear waste which would contain enough plutonium to build 138,000 nuclear bombs. 138,000? Yeah, so staggering quantities of plutonium. And uh, there's certainly no suggestion for me or anyone else that there is a hidden agenda now to to develop a weapons capability or even to bring Australia close to a weapons capability. But the simple facts of the matter is that if you've got that much weapons usable material that you know other countries are going to factor that, that into their calculations. So, mm. you know, if we go back to the 1960s, it was all about Australia's relationship with Indonesia and, uh, you know, what is Indonesia going to think of Australia having staggering quantities of weapons usable plutonium and... Yeah. What it would mean in or China. Um, yeah, well, China's different because they've already got a weapons capability. But Indonesia would be would be encouraged to move closer to a weapons capability. Mm. And in practice, what that would mean was it would give a uh, it would give some encouragement and an extra argument to the pro nuclear power forces in Indonesia. And so, one yeah. potential unintended consequence of of this project in Australia would be having nuclear power reactors on earthquake-prone Java. Yeah. Yeah, not a good idea. Uh, And I did also see that they were uh, going to let um, US uh, uh, aircraft with nuclear weapons into the Northern Territory, which would seem to be in contravention to our international public position on disarmament and and weaponry and yet as you mentioned totally in alignment with uh the u.s forces uh asian pivot and and their own nuclear uh weaponry which is a little bit scary i think because i i'm assuming it would also not only increase the nervousness of our neighbors but also make us a, a much bigger threat for any sort of retaliation 
Yeah, I would think so. And um, uh, also related to that is um, the uranium sales to India. Mm. Keep in mind that India is a nuclear weapon state that's actively expanding its weapons arsenal and its capacity to produce fissile material for weapons and actively expanding its delivery capabilities and stubbornly refusing to sign the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty and it's totally outside the non-proliferation treaty framework and Australia is seriously undermining international non-proliferation and disarmament norms by going down that path yet. That's what's happened, and the uh, Federal Parliament's Treaties Committee has recently recommended against uranium sales to India, but uh, then just a couple of weeks later, the Turnbull government responded to the Treaties Committee with a one-page report which just flatly rejected all its recommendations. So, mm. yeah, in so many different ways, we're doing so many things that are so reckless and so damaging, and, uh, yeah, we just need an awful lot more public attention and public opposition to what's yeah, and you, you also raise a really um, relevant point in relation to TPP and other treaty trade deals is that the committees that actually investigate and then put forward recommendations can be totally rejected by the Cabinet and the Prime Minister of the time. So uh, it doesn't seem like a very good process in terms of protecting us both physically and politically when that recommendation could be so easily overturned and ignored. And it seems to be happening over and over again, which is uh, deeply concerning for anyone uh, that is not on board with the right-wing agenda that includes uranium sales to India. Uh, So, Jim, just to move on to something slightly more... um, fun and also relevant, uh, Lizard Lizard Bites Back is coming up this year. Uh, And I wondered if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about the history of Lizard's Revenge and what's going on this year. Yeah, well, there's a a very long history of protests and blockades at the Olympic Dam uranium mine in South Australia, stretching way back to the 1980s. And uh, more recently, uh, Lizard's Lizard's Revenge or Lizard's Bites Back, Bites Back was um, in the last one was in 2012. And uh, yeah, it was an incredible success. There was a good five or 600 people up there. And there was an incredible police presence there as well. It was really like being in a, a military state. And uh, we had the helicopters hovering above us the whole time and hundreds of police. And it was all quite intimidating. But even so, it was a fabulous protest and uh, sent a really strong message and generated heaps of, of media. And uh, so, yeah, there's the next Lizard's Bites Back protest, and that's this July, July 1 to 3. And so it's at the Olympic Dam uranium mine or, you know, near it. And uh, that's uh, five hours north of Adelaide. And Olympic Dam is operated by BHP Billiton, and it's... Uh, the world's biggest uranium deposit by a long shot. It contains about uh, 25% of the world's known uranium resources, so it's the size is incomprehensible. And, um, yeah, Friends of the Earth will certainly be supporting it as much as we can, and, of course, we'll be going along, and we'd encourage others to go along as well. So it's July 1 to 3. Excellent, and it's camping out on site. Uh, if people want to know more about what's going on with the anti-nukes campaigning at Friends of the Earth and the amazing work that you guys have been doing around the Royal Commission, where do they go to? Uh, either the Friends of the Earth Australia website or Friends of the Earth Melbourne or uh, 
Friends of Yes Brisbane or Adelaide for that matter, or uh, for people in Melbourne, you can find us on Facebook. It's Ace Collective. That's Collective with a K. And uh, yeah, we meet every couple of weeks and we welcome anyone who wants to get involved. Great. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning, Jim. And we wish you luck in terms of the outcome of the inquiry. And uh, we ask all our listeners out there to get behind one of the oldest running collectives at Foe, the Ace Collective, and Dr. Jim Green's work. See you soon, mate. Good on you. Thanks, Sam. Bye. Hey, yeah. You're listening to Community Radio. 3CR. 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 
Uh, so big shout out to the people in New South Wales and WA. Don't give up hope. You can overturn these laws and you can fight them every step of the way, I'm sure, with the support of the community around Australia. They are undemocratic. They have a chilling effect on both policy legislation and public dissent. And it really is not what we want our democracy to look like, where you can be arrested for having a thing that could be used for a thing. Oh, my God, where are all my things? Dirt Radio is over for this week. I'm going to go and contemplate all the things that I have that could get me arrested in WA or New South Wales. In the meantime, shout out to all of those activists that continue to defy these new laws, particularly in New South Wales around the Laird blockade, who are still trying to stop Whitehaven from destroying one of the last remaining bits of unique biodiversity in that area. We'll be back next week. Colin or John will probably be at the helm. We're trying to take it in turns. Uh, if you'd like to get involved in Friends of the Earth's work, either as a volunteer or to donate, you know where to go. Go to the website, hit the donate button. And also don't forget 3CR, much like Friends of the Earth, cannot survive without its membership and its supportership. So subscribe to 3CR if you want good alternative radio to stay on air. I'm Sam. Have a great week. Talk soon.